So in this cultivation, um, aligning aligning our ourselves to truth, truth is something we can all respect or feel. Yeah, that's we want truth rather than deceit or fabrication or you know the truth. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't want non-truth, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, truth in 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 terms of Buddha Dharma is a rather curious creature. <laughs> and you look at it in various ways as the yeah, truth of how things work, how things work best, what's skillful, what's unskillful, yeah, what allows things to form in harmonious ways. You say the truth of roughly speaking sila, virtue respect, integrity uh, because that's the way that the we sense gets properly established and clearly the we sense is a truth on one level we are in a corporate existence with other creatures, with each other we cannot exist independent of the planet the creatures which are other beings the truth is that we are in this relationship and when that's ignored extremely uncomfortable, unpleasant phenomena start to occur and the mind gets clouded and fogged with arrogance, supremacy, contempt, deceit, abusiveness, violence and so forth. Yeah. And that's, that's the way it is. Yeah. And we want to come together as a group, may see a thing is just okay, establish the sense of another person, that's who she is, that's how he is, I'm how I am. They're not the same, okay. We're not saying we're all the same or we've got to be the same, but okay, we create this space of respect. If I respect myself and respect her and respect him and respect that, how's this going to work? Well, we've all got to kind of fit together in some non abusive way, right? <laughs> it's not because somebody's policing us, it's just the only way it's going to work. To, to avoid stress and suffering is non-abuse, non-criticism, and uh, qualities of goodwill. That's that's what has to happen. Otherwise, there's not going to be no we, is there? And the sense of no we is a complete fabrication. There's no such thing as a non-we on this level. You know, we're dependent upon the earth, the air we breathe, food, the people who give us food, people who prepare the rooms, people we share the space with. Yeah. Our parents, our mothers, our fathers, our partners, it's all connected, isn't it? This is nothing revolutionary, but you know, take up the implications of what really understanding and affirming that and aligning that means it can't always be the way I want it. As an independent entity, it can't exactly be the way I want it. But what do I want? Harmony? Yeah, truthfulness or a bit of me getting my own thing mm. and how good is that mm. and clearly there's something attractive about that because people do it a lot <laughs> you know there's a certain passion for but how far does it go before you know, eventually you do have to recognize you you know you can't get by on your own yeah. So, the, of course, insecurity. People want to have a lot, 
get their own place, get their own thing together. Actually, the best form of security is friendship. And friendship comes from the we sense. That's that's what's going to keep us going. And friendship isn't always a matter of deep affection. It's a matter of mutual respect and recognizing that, that mutual respect if I see things from a mutual point of view I can learn quite a lot about where I get pushy and where I don't want to go where my blind spots are if I just live with that sense of mutuality I can learn quite a few things about where I'm getting it wrong so the sense of others helps us to be more truly clearly ourselves in an uncorrupted way you know, uh, it shows me my forcefulness, my pushiness, my resistance, is my crankiness. Okay. Yeah. How good is that? How far is that going to go? Mm. And uh, relinquishment, which is emotionally quite difficult, because. You know, we get very identified with our particularities. This is not annihilating the particularity, it's just sensing, just get some space around that. And see how useful, how profitable, how helpful it is. Let the process happen. There's a kind of, once you soften into that sense of relational wholeness, which is not conformity, it's harmony, like where a violin and a trumpet can play in the same band. It's harmony. You get the tune. You just quiet it down a bit. Slow that a little bit. Lift that a little bit. Now we're in line. And kinds of bits start to drop off or deconstruct the, you know, you know, I, you know my pettiness or my obsessiveness about this, that and the other you know and certainly living in communities for 48 years <laughs> talk about, what's it, rocks rubbing each other up until they get smooth <laughs> but it's not that people aren't cranky <laughs> And you go to monasteries, they're all really cranky people. <laughs> sometimes delightfully cranky, sometimes puzzly cranky, but definitely cranky. But it's a sense of, okay, yeah, well, you know. But then eventually we just get on, you know, get on. And find a sense of, yeah, harmony. You don't have to be a tuber if you're a violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that good, even. Just good enough to get on. You don't have to be brilliant, outstanding. No, no, you don't have to be just, just, just get to the we sense. And that by itself begins to moderate the, the amount of energy you put into being individual or forceful or getting on top or feeling inferior. You know, Just give up feeling inferior. <laughs> 
And how can you get obsessive about that too? Or guilty, or got to make sure everything works. You know, that could be a pain if somebody's got to make sure everything works. <laughs> just let it, just let it be a bit ragged. You know, it's easier, or just yes, because it's more harmonious. <laughs> and something you, oh, yeah. that means there's room for this. There's room for this. There's room for this. And it allows manifest uh, forms, our individualities manifest, they arise, they do what they do, they pass away. That's okay. That's true too. Mm. So you begin to recognize that what's called the noble truth of dukkha, suffering, is when we obsess with a particularity as being me and mine. Mm. Whether it's even a rotten peculiarity, <laughs> you know, my 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 craving for peanut butter or something, you know, however weird it is, it's just no, that's just the craving. Mm-hmm. If you follow it, it's going to take you into conflict because you can't always have it, you can't always get it. You know? If you try to not have it, it takes you into conflict. What about just letting it be there and just let it? arise and pass oh it's just that and the passion goes and the passion goes the craving gradually fades out not because you try to get rid of it just because you've seen the truth of it it rises passes so what's it trying to do fulfillment happiness yeah Oral gratification, sensory stimulation, uh, intellectual delights, being, having got some knowledge going on in one's head. Uh, these are the things we find uh, pleasing, gratifying, uh, transient. And, uh, you know, you, how much can you have before it gets tedious? How much peanut butter can you eat before you get sick of it? <laughs> How many ideas can you have before you're fed up with all this buzz in your head? <laughs> yeah. Something requires sense of the craving begins to deconstruct when you recognise it's it's never satiated, and it just leads to inadequacy. Yeah. We can't ever get enough. Mm. on that level so it begins to what was it trying to do find fulfilment and maybe fulfilment's a bit closer than reaching out for it yeah this is a this is a really transformative truth maybe the fulfilment we seek isn't going to come through reaching out for something but actually through stop reaching out and experience the fulfillment that's here huh? <laughs> to do this you've got to really got to do some cultivation because yeah. then you begin to uh, yeah. look at the truth of what what experience is about what manifests 
Yeah. So when the craving is seen as unfulfilling and nagging and disappointing and not really getting to that place of fulfillment, we begin to something starts to. Well, is it you know? Can you just be here instead? Mm. And uh, you know, this is a huge uh, shift that uh, takes quite a lot of doing. Mm. So you kind of okay. So recognize what what is it, what is our experience? Yeah. What is our experience? We've all been alive for a good number of years. What's it been? It's been change, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah. If we can all say that, you know, our, our individual histories are, we can all say that it's all been about change, it's all been changing. And it's all somehow been strung together as well, that's who I was five years ago, and tomorrow I'm going to be there, and two years' time I'll probably be there, and there was that event that happened six years ago. It's all strung together, this time continuum that seems to be me in my life. That's my experience. And today, so it's now 8.30, 8.40, and do some sitting, some walking, and the meal will come, inshallah, hopefully. <laughs> And then da 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 da, and then go on this retreat, and then after retreat, I uh, got this thing planned, booked for so and so, so and so. That's my life. And then I can compare this retreat with other retreats. That's my life. <coughs> like that. mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's called becoming. A sense of a continuum. A continuum, something flowing on from this to that to this to that. That experience called becoming, and it flows on, and the forms that arise—the sounds, the sights, the events, the emotional textures, the attitudes, the dramas, the bored bits—that all kind of manifests like bubbles in this stream of becoming that's streaming on, and it's got a time sense in it, and I am in that time stream. Okay, you're in that time stream. So, where was which bit was the you that was in that time stream? Yeah. Well, as me at six o'clock in the morning is rather different creature from me at ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The mood changed. The metabolism changed. Uh, my appetites changed. My uh, feelings changed. So, which was you? Which of those was you? Um, <laughs> one thing changed to another, but none of them was actually a, a, a substantial entity in its own right. Right. Who are you now? When you put aside, you get to the realm of direct experience, which is what we're talking about, truth. Direct experience. Who are, who are you now? You come up with a memory, a name, disposition. Is that going to stay? Probably not. 
going to change. So if you can't say what you are now, how can you say what you'll be in the future? And when you think of the past, how much of the past do you actually remember? Every instant? No. Just a few strong moments, true things that had emotional significance, psychological power, and a bit of drama in it. So where were you when there was no drama? Did you disappear? Uh, What do you remember of the past? That's constructed, isn't it? Out of particular points and dramas and colorations and textures that seem significant. Now seem significant. I can't remember sucking my thumb at the age of two, but I'm sure I probably did. (laughs) So that one gone. can't even tell you whether it happened or not, but most of what happened at the age of two I've got no idea of. Does mean you didn't exist? Must have existed. Something must have existed, but it's gone. So how real, how, how much of you was that? Where are you? Where were you? What will you be? Big don't knows actually start occurring. What we do, <laughs> so who are you now? Don't know. But there's certainly some drive to become something, to you know, get away from pain and become more agreeable, to get away from agitation and become more calm. Yeah, there's that, there's that movement, that's there. But that's not really a, a person, that's a movement, that's a current, right? that's a, a tra- trajectory. And the trajectory has to be keep moving, otherwise it's no longer a tra- trajectory, is it? If it's not moving, the movement of change from this to that unless it's moving, it doesn't exist. Right? But right now, we can't exactly determine where it's moving to. You know, saying, okay, I'm going to go to the Zendo this morning, because it's time to go to the Zendo, and I want to go, this, get this idea, go to the Zendo, and I'm going to sit there, please quiet, and nice and steady, and that's what's going to happen. And then after a while, I'm going to give a talk. Well, I can't get some of it. Some of it I won't get. Some of it I'll be noticing the bird song. Bits and pieces will drift in and out. I get bits of it, and then okay, bell rang. Okay, next thing. <laughs> Can you be sure what will happen when you get in the door? <laughs> okay, oh, it's been called meditation which is something I can't do. <laughs> It'll be that time when I think I'm about to do it and trying to do it, and making a good effort to do it and not quite doing it, and then feeling a bit frustrated but trying again and doing it, then changing my position and having another go at doing it, and then thinking, what am I doing here? And then, oh, look at that, look at that leaf, isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> 
that's much better than meditating. <laughs> <laughs> so where did that go? Where did that retreat go? <laughs> you know? Maybe that was the best bit of the retreat. <laughs> but you couldn't predict it, could you? Oh, go go back to my room, have a rest. Go back to my room. So when you get like, go back to my room, have a rest. You walk out the door, get back to my room, have a rest, and so you know, kind of says, you know, and in that in that trajectory, you kind of miss some of the elements in the atmosphere, people, because you've got that idea. Get to my room, have a rest. You know, a nice, cozy, warm blanket. Nobody bothering me. Quiet, peaceful. In my room, you know, rest. I'll snuggle down. <laughs> <laughs> you got that kind of. You get, you get to the door, open the door, and oh, oh there's a beetle on my bed. <laughs> you weren't supposed to be here. <laughs> I just got to him to, to, to have a nice rest. I sat, lie down, thought, oh my goodness, I've forgotten where I put my phone. Oh dear, you know, suddenly, gee, alarm bells ring. What happened to the restful room? Uh, can we predict? We have these so. Uh, what predicts is the mind, the heart's fascination with becoming, where it kind of projects a scenario. It's aiming for that scenario which it never quite achieves, so it feels a bit disappointed. So it aims for another scenario which doesn't quite achieve either, so it's a bit disappointed. So it aims for another scenario, maybe a bit more effort. Bit more manipulation. It kind of doesn't quite work out because now I feel stressed at the effort of trying to get to what I want. I don't feel happy anymore. So that didn't work either. And you know, well, no, look, you got it. You got it. The truth is that process of becoming doesn't lead to satisfaction. You get it? Do you see that? It doesn't lead to where you were hoping it would lead. And sometimes it's the other way around, you know, I'm thinking, oh God, this is going to be real misery. Going to have this train journey, six hour train journey, real miserable time. You know, sitting there, stuck in this train. I get on the train, is this, hello, Adjun, I haven't seen you. Oh, hello. Really? Oh yeah, funny you're on this train. We have a really pleasant time together. <laughs> so you can't always predict misery. <laughs> <laughs> This is so frustrating. <laughs> so eventually you stop predicting. Say, so, I don't know. <laughs> Beats me. I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. And I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and that's being absolutely truthful. Oh, but something's going to happen. Oh, just, so that's me just starting to wake up coming out of the becoming dream into this and oh something's gonna happen. Yeah. The approach was called the truth of suchness. Everything that happens is just what happens. It's not an entity, it's an event. Yeah. It's an event, something pops into consciousness. And it rises and passes. And uh, 
that's called a Dhamma. A Dhamma is not really a thing, it's an event thing, a thing which is actually an, an event of experience popping up, it's called a Dhamma. Mm. Yeah. There's the truth of Dhammas manifesting. Mm. And what we, of course, some of them can be delightful, some horrible, some tedious, or we can add all these adjectives to them and we can resist some and feel disturbed by some and feel excited by some but they still keep doing it arising and passing so after a while you begin to lessen the adjectives and just it's just another one and your heart gets spacious enough to allow that which you didn't really want it's just something that just pops something you find really quite delightful arises and something that's kind of nagging at you, you just get that sense of, okay, this is not me, it's just the Dhamma doing its thing, the nagging Dhamma. <laughs> doing its nagging, beautifully nagging, you know. <laughs> it, really know, it really knows the spots to go to. Oh, beautiful nagging Dhamma. And it rises. So you get that the respect and that spaciousness around things allows dhammas to manifest yeah, and pass and the spaciousness has an effect which is non-forced, non-decided, non-directed the spaciousness has an effect in which whole heart becomes more relaxed and comfortable less pressurized, less frightened, less contracted, less disturbed by dhammas the heart begins to the, the heat which we didn't even recognize that was stimulating all this begins to die down and dhammas don't manifest not because we wanted to get rid of them but just because the heart's not reverberating and ricocheting around all this stuff the heart begins to know itself. And this is the truth too. Mm. Mm. It's a quality of Dhamma Vijaya, exploration, handling, handling Dhammas, Dhamma Vijaya, handling, exploring, feeling, sensing evaluating, how's this one, how's this one, how's this one, where does this get me, where does this hang on, where's the really gritty bit that sticks in, and that one, can I widen my attention around that rather than get magnetically driven into it, can I soften my intentions rather than call it right or wrong, if it's right hold it, if it's wrong get rid of it, this is pretty stupid, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's just that's that. And soften the intention to just, okay, dislike, dislike this, soften. Okay, don't agree with it, but there it is. Softening the intention. And you soften the intention, what comes in is qualities such as patience, 
spaciousness, clarity, compassion, goodwill. It's not to move into that that space that you've acknowledged, because it is always there. For things to arise, there has to be some space them to rise into, but we don't notice that. Yeah. Okay. You notice that it rises up, that means it is a non-event, or then something moves in. Something moves from one thing to another. There must be some space it moves through. This is the spaciousness characteristic of the heart. Yeah. It's, it's receptive. So it's like an open space that things move into, but it's always fundamentally open, otherwise things couldn't move into it. Right. And that spaciousness, when it's acknowledged as the fundamental property, dhammas change. But the fundamental property of spaciousness, receptivity, is a fundamental property. You can't call it a thing because you can't exactly label it or name it, but it's that allowing things to arise and pass. So it's a non-manifest dhamma. <laughs> and this is where Buddhist philosophy starts to drive you slightly mad. Because <laughs> saying the non-manifest is actually much more important than the manifest. You think, <laughs> you tell that to the tax man. You know? <laughs> non-manifest my pet my, my payment <laughs> but you know if you say something like a very simple statement like two and two equals four <laughs> yeah that's true well two what two what two apples equals four apples that sounds true well actually if you look at each individual apple that apple is only an apple because I call it something I call it an apple, and I can say two apples equals two and two apples equals four apples. When I actually look at an apple, that apple's not the same creature as that apple. So I imply a, a kind of a sense of them belonging to the same thing because I've created a category called apple. If I don't create the category called apple, and I just see this manifestation of a shape and a coloration. That shape and coloration is not the same as that one. So, one and one equals two. It's like saying one apple and a car equals two. In theory, yeah, one apple plus a car does equal two in mathematics, but in reality, it doesn't. Does it? So we begin to recognize, okay, say two people. And there's, there's two people in the room. There's this person, that person. Yeah. But actually, this person, if you really get to the truth of this person, this person is not in the same category as that person. You know? This one's this age, this height, this coloration, this so forth. It's not the same creature as that. So, actually, there's no such thing as one and one equals two in, in Buddhism. One equals one. One equals one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's true. 
what the one is is, is a bit dubious because it's a matter of perception, isn't it? If I look at an apple, what does a dog see when it sees an apple? What does an ant see when it sees an apple? What does a hungry person see when it sees an apple? What does an apple trader see when they see an apple? Is an apple the beginning, when it begins to form? Is it the ripeness? Is it the decay? Which, which aspect do you see? I don't know if there are any apples, actually. <laughs> this is where it drives you a little bit mad. Saying, talk sense, will you? <laughs> I'm not talking sense, I'm talking truth. Say, <laughs> so, well, okay, what's that got to do with me? You know, it's an interesting philosophical exercise. What well, it means when you go walking meditation, you think you're going walking meditation, right? Well, which bit actually is the walking? Is it that sense when you get that sense of your foot and your leg strengthening? Is that the walking? No, that's not walking. Is it when the other leg lifts? No, that's not walking. Is it when there's a swing? No, it's part of it, but that's not walking either. So there's no walking then, is there? <laughs> and when you're walking, there's non-walk. <laughs> you're going to go for 20 non-paces to the end of a, a non-path. <laughs> and turn around again. <laughs> or something's going to turn around again, we don't know quite know what, <laughs> and do some more not walking, then you're starting to get into truth. <laughs> so as long as you walk without walking, <laughs> because something's happening, what it is I can't tell you. But in that state of not naming, a sense of openness, clarity, lightness, no pressure, no stress, no expectation, no frustration, no disappointment, no conclusion, nobody gained anything, nobody lost anything, nobody became anything. Well, that's a burden gone, isn't it? <laughs> this is called enlightenment. Let's get light. Right. And we begin to recognize the world of sense consciousness is a kind of an illusion, a wonderful, multicolored, multifaceted illusion that's okay as an illusion, but to grasp it as a reality is going to cause some deep stress, frustration, disappointment, feeling of not being good enough, can't make it. Uh, feel alone, I'm the one who can't do it, that's what it's going to cause. But if you don't grasp it, it's just that lightness. Uh, This is what we call truth. Mm. We're not saying things shouldn't manifest. Just the ending of categorization and the ending of becoming. You notice how the whole process happens when I, I go, okay, I can do my walking meditation for half an hour. That's what's been 30 of those little minute things that occur on clocks. That's where they occur. A little clock says it's this 
30 minutes you can definitely get it on that clock knows what it's doing I get out and think well must be 30 minutes gone already no only 6 minutes (laughs) (laughs) that means I'm bored (laughs) (laughs) and then how long do I have to keep this going for Uh who's keeping what going so then you realize, you know, the body, as it moves, doesn't have to have a destination. Its sole concern in moving is to make sure all the move bits work together and you don't fall over. That's its only interest. It doesn't want to go anywhere. It's not interested in where you're going. That's a mental, that's a mental mind's idea where you're going. body doesn't care. <laughs> Just plods along. All it wants to do is make sure that it lands on some strong ground so it doesn't fall over. And it knows how to operate the arms and legs. That's the end of the story as far as the body goes. So can we be that? Just to get the weight off the mind. Just to get the pressure off the heart. I'm trying to hold it all together and make and go somewhere. You know? Walking meditation is one of those, you know, fundamentally frustrating experience. <laughs> because with walking meditation, you're definitely not going anywhere, and yet you've got to do it for half an hour, <laughs> 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 or forty-five minutes, or whatever it is, or an hour. Oh my goodness, an hour of doing it is a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Because what's happening? Just manifestation, sight, sounds, and then here we go again. And as soon as you come, you get a sense of a path. Then, as soon as you get that path, certain things start to click into place. Path means okay. Path means here to there. In terms of space and in terms of time, we're actually we're on the track of becoming. We're on that sense of keep going, keep it going. You know. Here's the track, keep going, track, end of it, turn around, do it again, do three of those, you think, hey, wow. You know, this is getting a bit humdrum. But actually the body's fine. The mind, when it created that track, created suffering. Do we need a track? Well, often you use in medit- walking meditation, you use a track just so that you're kind of not drifting off into this and into that. That looks nice, and what about that? Just so you're staying with a sense of let's get into the process of walking you know, and let the world flow past, sights and sounds flow past this walking experience. I'm going to stay in that continuum of the body doing its thing. Yeah. And but really, as you practice, you draw that that sense of back, 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 back to just the moment when the body is doing its balancing and moving. And you get into the fluidity of the balance and the movement. Yeah. With that, which is always changing, there's no pressure in it. Yeah. 
It doesn't go anywhere. The body doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> now you may look and say, yes, it does, because I can see it. She's walking up and down that path. She's not going far, but she's definitely going from this place to the other place. No, the, that's the mind does that. The mind says that. The mind says that sight one second ago is really related to that sight two seconds later. But actually, that phenomenon was just shifting and changing like a butterfly's wing. Hmm? Well, the mind says, oh, same person walking up and down. But that person probably experienced thought, memory, perception, moods, feelings, sensations, constant flow. Lovely. So we get to the intimate reality of it, there's no track. There's no track. For the mind, this is really quite shocking. So this is why you need to really, really enter into the reality of of the direct experience of the body. The body's fine with that. It doesn't need a track. It's living. It's on track itself. It's breathing. And no one breath, no breath is the same as the next. But the process continues. No instant of a breath is like the the next instant. It's always shifting and changing. The process continues. The body's on its own track. Now, you know, of course, that track leads to degeneration and death. But while we have that, we can use that to get the mind to dismantle its own tracks, which are kind of an extra addition to what's already here. My track is my plan, my to-do list. That's one of my tracks. My track is the, um, you know, that kind of stuff. My track is also very much supported by my little gadgets, my little clock, which tells, oh, it's this, 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 right now I can do this, because it's this, and oh, it's 15 minutes before I do that. That keeps my track going. If everything else fails, whip my phone out of my pocket, there we are, (laughs) boom, boom, there's so-and-so in London or Helsinki or somewhere, we're in that flow so I can't I can't get out of the house without my phone I wasn't feel lost <laughs> you know because I wouldn't have my reality with me <laughs> right you know, I can't go out the phone without my phone I can't go a morning without looking at it because my reality would disappear yeah what is that it's that compulsive got to keep doing something and reading something and, and measuring something in order to get the sense of okay I'm doing that and next year I'll do that that's interesting what happened there we just addicted to that realm of becoming it's not incurable but it's a powerful force builds up the sense of being a permanent entity moving through space and time and there isn't one that's the truth 
it seems like it well you leave here the person that arrives in Durban is not the person that was in Ikopo the moods will have changed the metabolism will have shifted it'll be, it'll be similar but it will be in process yeah. if, we, if we're really clear about that mm. so with just that sense of okay just put that on hold now what is reliable what is really why, why this is kind of shocking and very very uh, you know disorienting but if we know the space around that everything manifests in a space that space doesn't shift yeah. right. what do I mean by space okay if you see an apple if there's no space around the apple, you wouldn't be able to see it because it stands out against something, right? If there's no space in front of your body, you wouldn't be able to move. You'd be squashed flat, right? This is very obvious. So we always move. The body's moving through space. Space is essential <laughs> because without space, this body cannot move, right? Very obviously. But we don't notice the space but all the time you're moving through something's moving through a sense of there being a spaciousness that opens around it we see things because we see things with a space behind them or we call it behind it it stands out if that space wasn't there you wouldn't be able to see it the space between two apples is what enables them to be two apples if they were merged together there would be no two apples would there be one apple they're squashed together it's the space that allows that perception of two right? <laughs> otherwise so the space is the most important manifestation or non-manifestation that allows manifestations to be exactly what they are and it's not it's, space has no angle on manifestation it doesn't approve or disapprove of it it's just part of it, part of the whole picture and so we start to tune into the space the space in in front of my body the space between my thoughts the space at the end of the breath that moment when I pause and drop my agenda oh that's just a thought Right, that's that thought. I've got so much to do today. Is actually just a thought with a powerful emotional velocity in it. But actually, it's just a thought right now. Oh, oh. emotional space opens up. So space is also a sense of coolness, spaciousness, non-pressure, non-stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so we start to tune into that not as something not even as something separate but that which allows manifestation to be exactly what it is and nothing other than what it is it's not it's never another one it's always just this it's never the next it's always just this 
We're never about to be something. We are something. We want to be about to be something better, but actually we are this. There's no about to be. We're this. It's this. The rest of it is just pressure. And in that space of what manifests is what manifests, the passions and the drives begin to deconstruct. And there's a sense of deep peace. And that which is not needed, the unnecessary mental fabrications of what I should and could and wish I was and how I'm not and better than, not as good as, different, all that stuff, the bleh, <laughs> you know, are totally unnecessary and stressful. Yeah. And then we respect what manifests. This is a, you know, doesn't mean we like it. And that allows that freedom, which is, of course, the ultimate aim of truth. It's not to say how something is. Truth is not about defining what something is. It's about knowing things arise and cease, and there's a peace, a stability through acknowledging that truth. So let's take some time, some non-time for some (laughs) non-practice.